0: Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed.
1: And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions. It's an unfiltered view of your customer reality. In other words, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork.
0: And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it.
0: China at Gong, we host a lot of executive roundtables, we listen to voice of the customer through Gong, surprise surprise. We're looking at social media mentions and just topics that revenue leaders talk about and one of the things that consistently comes up very often is deal predictability or another way to think about it is forecasting. And we had great forecasting conversation today with Diego. And we've had another good one recently with John over at point click care.
1: Yeah. There's some really good industry stat and I wish I could remember the source of this, but it's like about half of the deals in your pipeline will ultimately close. And so it's all about figuring out like, where should you as a team from reps up to leadership be focusing that time? and understanding and being able to accurately predict is a big part of that.
0: hundred percent. And it's interesting because as you have these conversations, reps view forecasting typically as like data entry and what am I going to close so I can figure out my commission, which completely makes sense. And then as executives, it's really more just about strategic planning, right? How can we be more effective and more efficient with our strategic planning if we know what's going to close, when it's going to close, et cetera. And so I had a really good time with Diego because one of his keys to success, I'm just going to give it away right here now, is a lot of their forecasting is done based on buyer signals or voice of the customer. Or in other words, specific actions buyers do in this sales process instead of selling actions from his sales team, which I thought was really interesting.
1: It all kind of ties back to reality. What's actually going on versus the happy years and what you think is going on.
0: Absolutely. I think he called it rosy eyes, which I liked. I think uh, was it rose colored glasses is the phrase. A lot of good takeaways. But if forecast accuracy and improving it is top of mind or even on your top five list, this is definitely something that you're going to get a lot of value from. So, hey, let's go hang out with Diego. Diego, it's Friday morning. We're all in a great mood, you included. Thanks for hanging out with us on Reveal today. Devin, Sheena, thanks for having me. Let's just get started. For folks not familiar with LiveRamp, what problem does LiveRamp solve? So LiveRamp makes it safe
2: and easy for companies to use data, full stop. So we really help companies use data. And it usually starts with marketing, but then it evolves to basically the whole customer experience and helping companies really become data-driven.
0: Love that. We're all about data here, as you already know. And you're the chief commercial officer. So what do you focus on over there?
2: As chief commercial officer, I focus on all things customer. I like to say that my job is really customer success. Even though we start with sales, everything pre-sales, post sales falls under commercial, but all of our team's job and all of our everybody in our company is about customer success. Specifically, it's sales, solutions engineering, customer success, support, services.
1: And I see you've had an amazing career and run at LiveRamp, you've been there almost eight years, starting in sales and moving your way up to SVP of revenue and then chief commercial officer. What do you think uh, really drove your ability to really grow your career and experiences at the same company?
2: Yeah, it's been a very fun and amazing run here at LiveRamp. And like you said, I've been here almost eight years and I joined, I think I was our second rep and and in some ways my job then, my job today, is the same, which was, hey Diego, can you join and help us work with some strategic enterprise customers? We were about 30 to 40 people at the time, about 10 million in ARR and a very small sales team. I think we we had probably a couple dozen customers, very highly concentrated revenue. Fast forward to today, we're 1,200 people, about 500 million in, in ARR and over 800 customers. And I, I like to say, I've had every sales role at the company between then and now, and personally, I think what in terms of you know how I kept growing with the company i'm I'm naturally curious, but i'm also just i'm very motivated by building and by scaling, so whatever we're doing, how can we let it scale? How can we build a process around it? how can we double it and that's just been the mentality, and the team will probably i don't think I hope they're not tired of me hearing saying this but we're still just getting started. Like the, I, I really believe that the opportunity in front of us is huge. And this is just the early days for LiveRamp,
1: which makes it very exciting. That is. That's super inspirational, exciting for your team.
0: It's a great journey. And speaking of scaling, an important part of that, I imagine, is forecasting, which gets us into our topic for today, how to forecast with incredible accuracy. So Everyone listening knows what forecasting is, but I'd love to hear from you, Diego, why is forecasting so important uh, in your opinion or maybe even at your role at Librant.
2: Just from a business perspective, forecasting is crucial so that you can plan. Uh, you can plan budget, you can plan, you know, if you don't like how the forecast looks, you can plan how you're going to go make it better if you want to and things like that. And forecasting is usually associated with sales and bookings. And we can go deep into, we've grown into our forecasting here at LiveRamp, but it applies to contraction, the customer count, hiring. I mean, like just really like predicting your future so that you can plan for it is a very important part of business. And data plays a key role into that, obviously.
0: And what are some of the risks, or maybe you've experienced at LiveRamp, if you can share, but of inaccurate forecasts?
2: If you don't get your forecasting right, and let's just focus on, on, on sales forecasting, it can have real impact on your planning and on your future. And whether you forecast too high or too low, if you don't get it right, it can have a real adverse impact. And in, in a SaaS business, where we usually forecast on bookings, bookings is really a leading indicator to future performance or revenue of the company. And so what what our forecast on bookings is, it's going to have a real uh, big impact on our hiring plan and not just for sales, but for the village that supports uh, the sales team, whether that's the legal team or data ethics team, solutions engineering, our product. Are we investing? Did, did we forecast growth on this particular product to be too low and then we didn't invest enough so to meet demand and, and, and then we're behind? So it just becomes... Um, Really important. And if you under forecast, you might under invest in areas where you have a huge opportunity. If you over forecast, it's, it's the other way around. It's kind of like that Goldilocks thing, like trying to get it just right becomes really important.
0: What does forecasting look like today?
2: Forecasting, I don't see it as a, as a leadership exercise or something that just falls on the shoulders of sales leadership. It really takes the team to get forecasting. The most obvious is just data entry. If the team is not you know, like contributing with, you know, using the tools or updating uh, Salesforce or whatever it is, it's going to be very hard. And something that we've tried to do uh, that I think is it has helped our forecasting. I'm really proud of our forecasting. We'll talk about how how we do it. But like everything else at LiveRamp, we try to push it down and push decisions down. If every one of us can have our own forecast and like, stick to it, myself in my own book, uh, if I'm a rep, and it's like, this is my forecast for the year, for the quarter, these are the products I'm going to sell, and then I, I do a data entry properly, and then we bubble it up, we're going to get a very accurate view into the all-out forecast. So it's really a team effort to get forecasting.
1: So you talked about data and the critical role of data and forecasting. I suspect there is also a role that opinions play and your expertise that you can, you're able to bring over time. So if, tell me a little bit about what role does data play and what role does your opinion play?
2: There's maybe three components to our forecasting. And one of them is just the, the pure on like data entry. I have so many opportunities at these stages with these closed dates, that's one thing. The other one is, to answer your question, Sheena, is what we call leader judgment. So in every forecast, there's room for leader judgment which by the way, more and more is informed by AI, which is really great because we have all these different tools that will have different AI predictors. And and I'm kind of like learned how I work with AI. And at this point in the quarter, I'm usually above. And, and so that leader judgment is is slowly becoming more AI driven than like little driven, but for sure there's subjectivity there. But the third element and, and probably the most exciting thing for me of what we've done with forecasting at LiveRamp is that we've really embedded it into our customer life cycle, into our sales cycle and into our journey. So the way that we came up with our forecasting, we started with what some companies would call a playbook or a sales stage management guide, which for for anybody there who's starting to think of like, how do I improve forecasting? How do I even get started with forecasting? I think the first step is to just have a very clear understanding or as much as possible what your sales cycle is. And to understand your sales cycle, you really have to understand your customer and how they experience your solution and, and their buying journey. So we started with that and then we understood that, hey, it's usually there's some discovery and then so you're in this phase. And when you're in this discovery, this is what the customer needs to get from you, and this is what you need to get from the customer. Once that happens, you check the box, and you can move into uh, a proposal stage. And so for a proposal stage, this is what you need to get from the customer, the requirements, the KPIs, what success looks like, and then this is what you need to give the customer. So a workflow, pricing, etc. Then you go into a negotiation phase, and in the negotiation phase, Just to give some examples, like redlining is like a key event. Like when we give a contract, that's a key moment in the sales cycle. When we get redlines back, that's a key moment in the sales cycle. So in every one of these phases, that's what we try to do. Understand like the buying journey from a customer perspective. What are the key pivotal moments? And then we connect those to our pipeline management, to our forecasting. And so instead of asking, what deals do you have? that are going to close next month, you can ask how many deals are you in red lines right now? Because we know that's a key indicator. And once you get to red line, there's an average number of weeks that's going to get through from here to close. And you just get a much more accurate forecast. So starting from the buyer journey and how they experience, and depending on the segment, are you going to run into procurement? Are you going to run into InfoSec? Are you going to run into certain things? And then translate translating that into a give and take playbook, And then making sure you capture all those data points in your uh, tools—that's how you end up with with with, what I think is like the right forecast management. So, anyways, long-winded answer to say there's definitely like putting the data in, but then that data has to come from like your playbook and understanding your buyer journey, and then the leader judgment that goes on the top.
1: That's great, and I specifically love the part where you said it's like those indicators from the customer's perspective. It's not just, hey, you sent the contract over, but it's that the customer responded and they sent you their red lines. That's what's showing the intent. It's not just the activity that's to, that the rep is doing that's going to drive and influence that forecast.
2: To echo that, I'd say the more that you can pinpoint on what, what are those buying indicators and when they're going to happen. So for us, for example, get and I would imagine for any enterprise SaaS getting line back, like that's a huge, like we celebrate that, that's a huge step forward. They could, to give you an example of something that happened slightly before that for us, we know because we deal with customer data and we're talking to Fortune 500 companies, at one point or another, we're gonna have to talk to InfoSec and show them like how, how we take care of data, like how our security processes work. So that's a key moment in our sales cycle. When we get that, when we get the questionnaire, We celebrate that because, hey, like we're making progress in our sales cycle. So like really pinpointing like those pivotal moments where your buyer is coming along with you is really important. And it's not just the hunch of, oh, I'm doing great. We've had five calls. They love me. Most sellers, we have like very rosy eyes and we think everybody's going to buy from us next week. But if you can be objective with the milestones around the sales cycle, that'll help your forecasting quite a bit.
0: Yeah, liking the sales rep might be just a tad bit of subjectivity in that forecast. huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Diego, I think you were with LiveRamp as the company went public. So tell us a little bit about how your approach to forecasting and pipeline management evolved yeah. from pre-IPO to now as a public company.
2: I, I like to think of it as just been part of our journey and how we grow up. But it just happened to be that as we went public, our focus on forecasting, and just being able to be very predictable in our planning just became that much more important. And so that's when we really started paying attention. We had done a very good job understanding the buyer journey and what we, we call it our sales playbook. We wrote the playbook and this is the steps that will happen in your sales cycle. These are your materials. This is your, your first one-sheeter. Like this is how you talk to InfoSec like that we were talking about. And so we were at that point and then we became public and we had this focus on just, hey, like the forecasting is really important. We have to start thinking about guidance and like how we're gonna inform that. And that's when we connected the dots and said, if we look at our playbook and there's a much better predictability there, understanding like once you get to this point, once you're at InfoSec, like how many weeks you have left in the sales cycle and and so on like that. And and that's when we started connecting the dots between capturing data points uh, of our playbook and putting them in our pipeline management system. We keep getting better and better, but we've had great predictability in our forecast. And I have to give a shout out to our sales ops team. Like again, anybody who's thinking about forecasting, like starting with the most incredible sales ops team is a must because Deb and team here at LiveRamp are just world-class and have really taken our forecasting to, to the next level.
0: So Diego, you are doing a phenomenal job of laying out kind of like the playbook. What are some of the challenges that you ran into so listeners who are going to go down the same path can kind of know what to expect?
2: Probably the hardest challenge, and I think what we can all relate to, is just data entry. Forecasting is important to leadership and management, but how does it like what as a seller I have so many other things to do? why am I going to spend an hour two hours with Salesforce and just taking notes down or, or however it is that that you do data entry and that has gotten a lot better over time like tools like gong and and, and and others make it a lot more seamless for the seller to be able to capture what's happening in the sales cycle in the tools. But still, it it was a challenge, and it is a challenge to get that buy-in from the organization that this is something that's important to do. Two things popped up that helped us overcome it, and I like the second one uh, more than the first one. Like the first one is, as a seller, you get tired of like three, four, five different executives across the company asking you, like, "Hey, where are we with this?" Like the best answer is check the deal notes. Like if you like everything's updated. So in a way, it does make your life easier if you keep it updated. But really, I think the way to do it is to try to come up with a, a forecasting system or a pipeline management system that adds value to the seller and their sales cycle. So one example of how we did that is as part of that playbook that I had talked about, we had landed on a path to close uh, working document, which is, hey, like once you get red lines, you're probably four to eight weeks away from closing the deal and usually these are the things that you want to think about is there a procurement involved and and have you connected with them check the box do you know who the signer is and are they going to be on vacation is there anything in their schedule in the next three months that we should be aware of is the signer different than like the person that so we had like this checklist of a path to close that when we did deal reviews because we do a lot of deal reviews proved to be very helpful to sellers because you realize that if you did the path to close, you actually had the likelihood of you actually closing the deal went up quite a bit than if you didn't, and then you had all these surprises. And so we it just became very clear that participating in this pipeline management process and our forecasting process was actually not, not just good for forecasting, but it's just help you close the deal and help you move the deal forward. And the more you can do that, the more that you can align your processes to not just help you with forecasts, but actually add value to your sellers. And the way you add value to your sellers is by helping them close the deal, bigger, faster, the better.
1: So tell us, Diego, what's next for forecasting for LiveRamp? What are some of your aspirations and goals?
2: We can always do better. So we are continuously improving and we kind of have this race with AI tools of like at the beginning of the quarter, like who called it better. But in terms of what's next, I think we... We keep making it easier for sellers, so the less of a handicap that like our tools and things can be, the better. And then, but then also continuing to, to push it down, so it's not just like a sales leadership exercise, but hopefully something that every rep does on their own and can almost like plan out their fiscal year. Hey, here's my pipeline, here's my big deals, here's what I expect Q1, Q2, Q3. So that will happen, and just empowering them to do that.
1: Sales leaders agree that accurate forecasting can be easier said than done, but how many sales teams are actually getting it right? Here's a glimpse, less than 20% of sales orgs have forecast accuracy of 75% or greater. These stats come from the Miller-Hyman group. This inaccuracy and certainty leaves a majority of sales orgs grappling for direction and finding ourselves back at the drawing board when we realize our predictions for the quarter are far from reality. Let's jump back to our conversation with Diego to learn how you can increase your forecasting accuracy.
0: Diego, what advice do you have for sales leaders trying to increase their forecast accuracy for next year? Maybe what's like the first thing that they should start to look for and maybe that like analysis phase as they start to plan for next year?
2: It took us a while to get it right at LiveRamp, but when we finally did, it was a game changer. Start by really nailing down that playbook. So independent of your forecasting, independent of your sales tools, just like really write down what that sales cycle playbook looks like and what are the gives and gets and what are the key milestones during the sales cycles for your product and and, and your buying process. And again, doing it from the perspective of the buyer is preferable. I would start there. And hopefully once you have that, that's not only a great tool for your sellers, it's a great tool for onboarding. It'll decrease new hire onboarding by quite a bit and increase productivity, you'll get you know, time to booking from start date to first booking will be shorter. So just doing this, I can't say enough about encouraging to get your playbook on paper. And once you have that, translate it to what you would call like forecasting or pipeline management. Like how do you translate that to your sales stages and how do you capture that data? And then really train sales managers to use it. That was also for us when we really started Focusing on frontline managers, understanding uh, the playbook and the forecasting process.
0: Got to rely on that playbook. And I like how you're saying start with those buyer signals, right? Red lines, InfoSec, all those good things. I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because you'd said something a little while ago about, hey, is someone going to sign? Are they going to be on vacation? In my opinion, the best reason to be out of office is if you're on maternity or paternity leave. And in prepping for this, I did some research on you and came across your passion that you have for paternity leave and the gender gap. So can you tell us a little bit more about your paternity experience and how it's impacted the way you uh, view this topic?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking and bringing it up. It's I think it's a very important topic, and especially for sales, where usually like you eat what you kill kind of thing. So if you're out, you're not killing, and what, what are you going to eat? Gender... Parity and it's, it's a very top of mind for me, but more than that, just like this idea of belonging and at LiveRamp, we're investing quite a bit on in diversity, inclusion and belonging is like the operating word where we end up because we will all be our best if we feel like we show up at a company where we belong, where we can be our true selves. And there's many different facets uh, to that. But something that I, I'm big on family. I have three beautiful kids. My life is really, I love working at LiveRent, but I love being with my family, and, and, but they're not separate. And especially over the last couple of years, where like I'm, I'm talking to you from my home today. So how do you balance that? And I had three kids. I took different types of parental leave with these three, and I'd say I got better and better. But something I noticed and I didn't like is that, you know, for men, it's usually optional, right? Like, uh, and oh, I have this big deal coming up. And so I don't care when, when the baby's born, I'll close the deal and then I'll take my time off. And if I need to come back, like I can. And then I was like, wait a minute, but like for women, it's not an option. If, if you're giving birth, it's not like you can say, Hey baby, wait uh, till I close that deal. And then I'll go on maternity leave. And, and it just creates a lot of disparity. And I know that everything from once you find out you're pregnant, can I tell my boss or not, am I going to not get a promotion because I'm, I'm taking time off? Like I just, it felt to me that like mothers carried a lot more of that weight than fathers. And I think one way that we can improve that is by, by having solid parental leave for all parents and then really encouraging everybody to take it because it just becomes the norm we started in this journey with LiveRamp. i think when my third was born so that's about a little over three years ago uh, i worked with our hr team it's like we really need to write this down on paper uh, and come up with a policy that works and that works for sellers and it's not like if you're in parental you're not going to get commission so we started this journey about three years ago a little over three years ago and i'm really proud Uh, of where we're come. And I think it's become part of our culture that you have a baby, you take time off and and you be with your family. And what a what a gift. So thanks for asking. Very proud of the work we've done there. We've thought through all the way to the tactical and even to like how do you pay commission? How do you make it fair? And how do you make it really available for folks to be able to take the time off? I think it's it's important to narrow that gap that exists between genders uh, in the workplace today.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Diego. Are you able to elaborate a bit on like the commission piece specifically and, and how you handle that during parental leave?
2: Yeah. At the beginning, we're like, okay, you can take time off, but you know, like, so, so we'll cover your deal. So you'll have to split it. And I was like, that doesn't sound fair because I worked and our sales cycle is like nine months long. And, and so I could have worked this deal eight weeks, eight months and two weeks, and then I had to go on parental leave. And so I've lost half of my commission. And for most sellers, like the variable component of their plan is a very important part of their plan. So it's it, it almost makes it like that parental leave is just not an option because I'm not going to take it. We've had different versions of the plan, but it's a flavor of you get paid fairly for your deals. And to the extent that others will step in and help, we have a system to guide and say, Somebody will help and it's just you just help because part of the team or like eventually you do come up splitting the deal. I like managers step in and help quite a bit. There's no perfect way of doing it, but there's better ways of doing it than just forcing people to like basically not take the, the leave or not want to take the lead.
1: Well, Diego, the conversation has been amazing so far. We have learned a ton. Before we wrap, we're going to ask you one question that we like to ask all of our guests, uh, which is how would you describe sales in one word? Results.
0: Fantastic. Diego, thank you so much for hanging out with us and sharing everything you know about forecasting and paternity leave. It's like a nice little bonus, little sprinkle bonus content in there. So we're grateful. It's fantastic to meet you.
1: Every week we bring you a micro action, something to think about or an action you can put into play today. Diego has shared the importance of customer actions to making accurate forecasts. If you want helpful forecasts, you need to know what your customers are doing and how those actions relate back to current deals. So if you only do one thing after hearing this conversation, do this. Make sure you understand your sales cycle. To understand your sales cycle, you really have to know your customer, how they experience your solution, and their buying journey. Find out what the customer needs from you at each phase of their journey. At the discovery phase, what information does your customer need? At the proposal phase, what are your customer's requirements? And what does success really look like for your customer? As you pinpoint these inflection points in the customer journey, you'll be able to forecast more accurately, and you'll be able to provide customers with what they need along the way.
0: Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.